You're listening to a resource from the Field Church in Mandeville, Louisiana. It is our joy to glorify God by treasuring Jesus in the preaching of His Word. We pray this resource will be a tool used to aid in your relationship with Christ in addition to your local church. Blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood. Amen. Good morning, church. Second service. How's everybody doing? Awesome. My name is Josh Miller. Uh, I serve as the director of campus outreach at um, Southeastern Un- University, which is the Field Church's campus ministry. Uh, so today I'm going to be preaching out of Luke chapter 13. So you guys can go ahead and turn there because uh, we're just going to actually jump right into it. We're in uh, 13 verses 18 through 21. This is the parable of the mustard seed. We're going to continue through this journey of Luke. Last week, we got to hear about the woman with a disabling spirit, the, dis, the indignant Pharisees. Uh, we saw the miracles of Christ displayed, and some people rejected this, and some people uh, responded in worship. And so our text is, is a response to that. So let's just start out by reading it. Verse 18, read with me. He said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden. And it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. And again he said, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. The main idea of today's text, basically what we're seeing laid out for us, is that in light of the display of the kingdom that we saw last week, remember the indignant Pharisees' response to Jesus' undermining of their religious rules and, and restrictions, and then the responding worship of his followers to the miracle that he displayed through this disabled woman, but also through putting to shame the Pharisees. In light of these things, it came to our Lord's mind, we need to teach today right now, about the growth of this kingdom, the advancement of the kingdom. The kingdom grows slow. It grows steady. It grows quietly. This text today is going to help build up our doctrine of the kingdom, our kingdom theology. God's kingdom is growing. It is advancing. And how is it growing and advancing? Well, it starts in the hearts of men, through the poor, through the disabled, through the broken, through the humble. That's, that's how it starts, and then how does it grow? It grows steadily by way of the message of the gospel in, in the individual's hearts, but also throughout the world. More importantly, through the world, this is how the message of the gospel is spread. And it does that steadily until consummation, until the end, until Christ returns. Revelations eleven fifteen says the kingdom of the world will become the kingdom of our Lord. So this is how it advances in men, and this is how it advances through the world. This is our doctrine of the kingdom being built up today through this text. Why is Jesus sharing it? Because this, these people who are rejoicing in Christ right now through his miracles and through his words, it won't always feel like this. Like it's not always going to seem to be advancing the way that it is here. It will be opposed. They will be rejected. And so we have to lay hold of these truths 
in order when we feel that way, we, we won't get discouraged, right? Because we know like this is how the kingdom works. This is how it advances. We were taught this in the parable of the mustard seed. I'll never forget this little mustard seed in this leaven. This is how the gospel continues through the world. So the title of today's message is God's kingdom is advancing. And before we jump in to the text and look at it and make it super clear, we're just going to do two things in the next 15, 20 minutes. I want to understand why this parable is placed here, where it is in the text. We want to, we want to understand that fully. This is going to bring to light some more truths for us. And then we just want to refresh our doctrine and build it up. What is the kingdom? Why is it? Where is it? How is it? Those types of things. So first, why is the parable here? Why did Luke place it in the text under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit? Well, first we have Jesus's reason for for explaining this parable to his disciples. Remember, he's in the process of training them for ministry when he leaves. He's not always going to be with them. And this ministry is war. We have two opposing kingdoms, the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. And so they are soldiers in this war. We don't battle against flesh and blood, though. So Jesus knows when he's gone, it's not always going to be like this. Right? They're not always going to see miracles. They're not always going to we're going to see the Pharisees be put to shame and feel the glorious kingdom in, in the way that it's come to them today. So we got to know these truths so that in light of that disappointment, inevitably, we will be able to continue on. We know what the text means. If you spend any time in it, it's simple to see its meaning. Mustard seed starts small. It grows and becomes visible. Like That's a simple illustration. The leaven works itself quietly in the hearts of men and through the world. But the, the context in which it is placed before bef the preceding verse and, and the verse after, this helps bring to light some truths that we need to take hold of today. So the, the verse we learned about last week through David Grantham preaching, we have the, the miracle. He put to shame the religious rulers. People are rejoicing about this. They're worshiping God because of it. And then on the flip side, we have, we'll, we'll see this next week, but it's narrow is the way few find it. Lord, Lord, I did all these things in your name. Like, will you let me in? No, I never knew you. So in light of this glorious kingdom, few people find their way into the kingdom. Why is that? What happened from, from, the, from point A to, to point B? Like, where's the disconnect here? God's kingdom is great. It is glorious, but it won't always seem that way to us and to these first century Christians that are, that are charged with taking it to the nations. It's not always going to seem as glorious as it is here in, in uh, verses 10 through 17. Why is that? Because the kingdom starts small. It starts small. It doesn't always feel great or look as promising as it actually is. It requires a lot of patience requires an eternal mindset, right? We have everything that's in front of our eyes. Um, it's hard to see, have vision about the future. What is this kingdom going to turn into? What will it eventually be? Because all I can see is what's right in front of my face. The kingdom is like leaven. It's hidden. It's working. It doesn't always feel like it. We can't always see where it's going. And why am I telling you this? Because the kingdom is real and it will be rejected. Why will it be rejected? Why will it be opposed? Because of the message of salvation. All are sinners. And that is the entrance into the kingdom to admit that this truth that we are wicked and unrighteous 
and people don't like that message, right? So we got to remember these truths. We got to remember this, this mustard seed and the leaven. If you're out there sharing your faith and people are rejecting you or rejecting the message, it's because it's a, it's a tough pill to swallow. We have to pray that the Lord opens their eyes and opens their hearts to receive this message. But similar in our own lives, when we're living out our Christian life and we're faced with trials, persecution, what have you, we got to remember God's grace is always working in our life too. We have to remember that and continue regardless of our emotions and how it feels. So I believe that's, that's why Luke placed it here. Kingdom is glorious. It's wonderful. But narrow is the way and few find it. So remember the mustard seed and the leaven. That's the message he's trying to get across to us today. Now, what is the kingdom? It's Christ's reign and rule on this earth, simply put. Back in Luke chapter 10, remember, he sends out his 72 disciples and he sends them to the surrounding area and he has them teaching and preaching and doing miracles, healing. And he says to them to tell the people that he comes to, today the kingdom of God has come near to you. John the Baptist preaches, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. So these words come near at hand. This just means approaching. The kingdom is imminently approaching you, Jerusalem. You, Israel, you people, the kingdom is imminently approaching. It came near to us through Christ's entrance into the world, through the birth of the Virgin Mary. Now, the Pharisees did not accept this reign and rule, right? We we know this. They hated the kingdom. They hated um, this idea that they must uh, renounce their self-righteousness and repent of their sin. Like, they're not sinful, So they reject this coming Messiah, not to mention they want a king that's going to free them from the Roman oppression that they're under, right? They believe in a coming Messiah. It's been prophesied, and we're about to look at a prophecy um, of the coming kingdom. But they they believed they were the poor and humble already because of their station in Israel, and they wanted to be lifted up above uh, the Roman rule that they were under, right? So they missed it because of this. They made it all about them, and they missed the message of the kingdom, now, there were many who understood it, and Luke obviously understood it. In, his, in the first two chapters of the Gospel of Luke, he gives us three quotations. We have Mary's song, the Magnificat. We have Zechariah's prophecy, and then we have Simeon's response, the, the temple priest holding um, the baby Christ. It was prophesied over him that he would not die until he saw the coming Messiah. So just some quotes from them that Luke gives us in the first two chapters of the Gospel. It says, Mary says, he has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts, brought down the mighty from their thrones. He's exalted the humble. So she understood how this kingdom would come through a humble means. Before any teachings of Christ, she understood it. Zechariah says he came to give light to those who sit in darkness, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Who sits in darkness? Everybody. Who did Christ come to bring into his kingdom? Anybody that would come. Then Simeon makes it even clearer. He says, my eyes have seen your salvation, a light for revelation to the Gentiles. So he knows before any teachings of Christ that that Christ has come to usher in this kingdom that is for the whole world, not just the Jews. So why do we need to remember this? Because we're not the center of the story. God is the center and his purposes, 
His plan is the center of the story. And that plan is to make his name known among all the nations. So it's about where do we fit into this plan? Christ's reign invisibly now through the hearts of men. That's how his reign and rule is displayed on this earth, invisibly through the hearts of men. Ultimately, he will reign visibly. This is at the consummation or his second return. Christ will reign and rule visibly then over all the nations. Everyone will see him, will know him. There will not be one nation, one tribe, one tongue that doesn't understand the message of the kingdom. Now, to make this more clear, we're going to look at a prophecy in Isaiah 55. So turn there with me because we're going to spend a, a little bit of time in it. Isaiah is to your left in the Bible. Just flip a little bit. If you hit Psalms, you went too far. Go back to the right. It's a big book. Uh, so I think you'll find it if you just keep flipping. Find Isaiah 55 with me, and we will read together. This is a review of God's prophesied kingdom, of how it would come. Prophecies tell the future, but I believe they're more clear when we're looking back at past events. They make these, these past events more clear. All right, so let's look at verse 1. Come everyone who thirsts. <laughs> come, come everyone who thirsts. Come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. All right, so this is the parallel to the first two chapters of Luke. He understood how this, this kingdom would, would begin, right? It's free entry. There's an invitation. Christ is going to reign and rule over the entire earth. Every single person, tribe, tongue, and nation will know his name, and yet he's inviting people into it. Free entry. And primarily, who's going to respond? It's the poor, the mournful, the meek, the humble, Luke's gospel is centered around this whole idea. He gets it. I want us to get it. This kingdom that everyone will see eventually is for those who will repent of their sins, who will acknowledge their sin before God and repent of it and come into this kingdom. Look at verse 3. It says, incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. So how do we enter into the kingdom? We have to incline our ear. We enter the kingdom through listening. Romans 10, 14 says, how will they believe in whom they've never heard? So this message that we have to hear, incline our ears to hear, is the message of the gospel. Your sins are forgiven, which means you are a sinner without Christ. You have to repent of this, enter into the kingdom. Now, it's not just that message, but also the end of this text says that your soul may live. So what does it mean for your soul to live? It means living out the purposes of God, doing what you were created to do. Verse 6, it says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Christ has come near today to these followers. Salvation has been made available. Therefore, we must repent now. There's the urgency. We have to repent now because it says while he is near, meaning he won't always be near. Hebrews 9.27, man dies once and then he, says, he is judged. So we have until we die to repent, but no one knows when they're going to die. So this is the prophesied Messiah that we're witnessing in our text. It's all coming true. They're glorifying God because of it. They see, because like, the, the message of the gospel is beautiful. It's healing this disabled woman. That's beautiful. It also puts to shame these religious rulers that are putting so much burden on them, right? So it's, it's beautiful in that. And so they're glorifying God because of it. But it's also powerful because it's going to take over the whole world, right? 
Verse seven says, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. All must repent because all are wicked. Romans 3.10, no one is righteous, no, not one. No one seeks for God. Romans 3.23, we've all sinned. We all fall short. This is the, the sin, this, this disease that has infected all of mankind that we must repent of. This is the message of the gospel. And this is why it's opposed because it's not a popular message, right? To tell someone that you are in fact wicked and unrighteous is not a popular thing to do. You don't make any friends that way. Now, there is hope, of course, we know as Christians. So this is why we have to keep the picture of the mustard seed and the leaven in our minds, because this gospel will be opposed, will be rejected, will feel discouraged because it's not a popular message. And so we have to continue on anyway. Verse eight says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. This is both the reason and the result of rejecting Christ. Right? We come into this world, children of darkness, therefore we reject what's true and what's good and what's right, Christ, salvation, his kingdom. And then because we reject it, we fall more and more into this trap, this downward spiral of following after ourselves, the wisdom of the world. So this brings us further and further and further away from the kingdom. And as believers, we got to be aware of this tendency in us to constantly go back to our own ways and our own rule and our own thoughts. We have to constantly come back to the word and align ourselves to God's truth. We got to be aware of this tendency. Now here in, in verse 10, we're going to reach the climax of the prophecy. And this is the mustard seed promise. It says, for as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth. So he's given this picture of rain and it leaves the clouds and it will reach the ground. Nothing will stop it and it will do what it's designed to do. It will cleanse the ground. It will make the green things grow. It will water the animals. This is the purpose for the rain and it will accomplish its purpose, simply put. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth, it says. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. All the purposes of God are going to be accomplished. His plan will be achieved. His kingdom will advance no matter, no matter what through his word, and it will do so until all the nations have received the gospel. So this is the parable of the mustard seed shown in this, in this prophecy. This is what Christ is reminding us of today, that his rain will fall, his seed will grow, his leaven will mature, his Christians will not perish, they will not be plucked out, and his kingdom will advance, his kingdom throughout the whole world. Now, this, this prophecy is a, a prophecy about the coming kingdom of God through a word, and that word is Jesus, right? John 1.1, 1, 1, like Jesus is the word. The gospel comes through this word. The seed in our text, and back in Luke 13, which we can turn back there now, the seed is the word of the gospel, salvation for sins. So this is why people are rejoicing in our previous text, verse 17. Remember he said, all his adversaries were put to shame and all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. So he's putting the Pharisees to shame. He's doing big things for the kingdom right now. They're seeing this kingdom of light win, right? He's doing it through the lives of the poor, which shows his compassion and his love. That's just beautiful to witness. Like you can be so strong and so powerful, yet care so much about the despised and the broken. 
This kingdom will rule the entire creation, but it won't always feel like it. We have to remember that when we're discouraged, it's like, man, this just doesn't seem like it matters. Well, it does. We just have to remember the the mustard seed and the leaven, how it works itself out when the emotions fail us, because they will. Look at some of the emotions I think these people are feeling, the, the ones that are glorifying God. This is like game day emotions. You know, if you've ever played sports, you can imagine like you're about to run out the tunnel and you're feeling some of these things. You're, you're a little nervous because you're like, what's, what's about to happen next? Like he just put this guy to shame. What's, what's going to happen? But you're excited. You're encouraged. Full, right? You're a little nervous. I already said that. Starting to wake up though. Like some people are like, all right, who is this guy? And they, then they see it like manifested in front of them. Like, okay, this is the Messiah. Like, this is awesome. The, the fulfillment of this prophecy. So they're comforted in that. So I think this is why Luke puts, it, puts the, our parable where it is, because in light of all these emotions that are welling up inside of people, like you guys are pumped up right now, you're really excited, but just be careful because as we're going to see next week, narrow is the way, few find it. I don't want you to be the few or the many that don't find it, right? I want you to be the few that find it. So in light of all these emotions, make sure you're not just being a fair weather fan. Continue, continue, even when it doesn't feel good, even when you're discouraged. It makes me think of Peter. And in Luke 19, there's a story. We'll get to it in a couple of years. <laughs> there's, there's a story of Peter. And Jesus says, I've been praying for you, Peter, that Satan would not... Would not, um, would not pluck you out because you're going to fail and I want you to return and strengthen many. I'm paraphrasing, obviously. So Christ is praying for Peter and, and uh, Peter says, Lord, no, like I'm gonna follow you to prison and to death, no matter what, like I, I got your back. That very night, he rejected Christ three times. Proverbs 19.2 says, desire without knowledge is not good. And whoever makes haste with his feet misses his way. Romans 10 to, they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. We can all relate to this. How many times have you started something with a level of excitement, but didn't quite finish it with the same excitement? You know, you're just crossing the finish line, just barely dying. And then you spend the next hour in the, in the tent because you're hypothermic. It was my first marathon. <laughs> it was rough. My, my, my kids were literally scared when they saw how bad I was reacting to being hypothermic at the end of this marathon. So we start out and we're excited and then we either don't finish or we finish at the end without the same emotions. This is just human nature. So to, today, I pray that this text, it comforts you, but it also cautions you lest you fall like these Pharisees did or like Peter did. We're excited, but then the, the emotions leave. So then, you know, we still look for the emotions. We got to remind ourselves of these truths so we can continue on when when we're discouraged. So we have four points we're going to look at in our text. They're simple, they're obvious, but these are just solid truths that we have to remind ourselves of constantly when we're facing this roller coaster of emotions in in the life we live in and in God's kingdom. So the kingdom of God starts small, it becomes visible, it grows quietly, and it continues steadily to completion. Starts small, becomes visible, grows quietly, and continues steadily to completion. So we'll take these one at a time. We'll look at our text now. Verse 18. 
He said, therefore. All right, so the word therefore is what connects us to the previous text. In light of the miracle, in light of the indignation, in light of the, the Pharisees being put to shame, overall, you guys just saw Christ win, you know, kingdom of light, one, kingdom of darkness, zero, boom. In light of that, this text. And behind this text, what waits for us? Narrow is the way, if you find it. Jesus laments over Jerusalem. He wishes they would see. He wishes they would repent. This is bringing to light the application of this parable, how we can apply it as Christians in our life. So it continues, what is the kingdom of God like and to what shall I compare it? So why do we teach in parables? Well, we know we teach in parables when we're trying to explain something or someone that someone hasn't seen, and we don't have words necessarily to express it. You know, if you have a, a friend or a mutual friend and you want to introduce them to someone, you try to explain them to that person. If, if someone were to ask you about church, like, oh, what is the field like? It's like, well, we have like 17 preachers, <laughs> and, but the main two, we got, we got Pastor Sam and he teaches mostly, and he's got perfect hair, he smiles all the time, he's happy, energetic. And we have Pastor Chad, and he has a great beard, he's really strong. <laughs> and so together, as we compare and contrast the two, we'll get a better picture overall of what does this kingdom look like. So the first point, the kingdom starts small. Verse 19, it says, It is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew and became a tree. And the birds of the air made nest in its branches. We're going to take just that first part. It is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden. So mustard seed in, in this time, like everyone was familiar with what a mustard seed was. It was, you know, the beginning of a mustard tree or branch or not branch, plant mustard plant. And that's what they usually were was mustard plants. Uh, but they were actually the smallest seeds. Like you could fit hundreds in your hand and wind would just blow them away. It's like a little black dot is, is the seed of a, of a mustard tree. And so these people were familiar with this. They understood exactly what he, was, what he meant by saying this, that the kingdom is, it starts small. You feel it in your midst, but it's actually smaller than it seems. It's as small as a mustard seed. So when you're sharing the gospel, right, when, when we're living out Christ's purposes for our life, we're, we're witnessing to someone, we're, we're trying to align ourselves to the purposes of God's word, and it doesn't like feel like it's working, it doesn't feel like, like we don't necessarily love it, it's not comfortable, we have to remember like the gospel starts small, God's kingdom starts small in our hearts. And, and if, if you're witnessing to someone and you think like, okay, how can I apply this? Well, I know like they've heard the gospel, but I know the gospel starts small. I know like I just got to keep praying that I'd see growth, keep praying that I could see fruit, keep praying that they'll be regenerate, any sort of fruit. Because well, as soon as the seed breaks through the dirt, we know like, okay, we got a mustard tree here, right? Okay, we got a Christian here. Like this is amazing. I think of the, these followers, right? All these game day emotions, they're overzealous, like overexcited. So Jesus is cautioning them. You may not always feel this good about the kingdom. You will become discouraged. I'm not coming through, the mili through military might. I'm not going to take down the Roman rule. You guys will remain oppressed. I'm coming through the preaching of forgiveness of sins. 
This word that has come forth, is, it is I, and it is the message of salvation. So when the feelings fade, when the newness of your faith wears off, or the newness of this new Bible reading plan or scripture memory, all these things start failing you, your emotions start failing you and encouraging you to continue in this way, we have to remember, like, this is how it starts. It starts small. It may not feel good for a long time. We have to keep doing it, though, because this is what the Bible says. This is what, what Christ told us. This is what he cautioned us with through the parable of the mustard seed. Remember, too, like, Christianity itself, it grew from Christ and his 12 disciples to, like, half the world believes now, or says they believe it started with Christ and his 12. We had about 120 Christians in Acts after Christ had already ascended. And then from there, they're going to reach the whole world. Like, that's crazy. But just like the gospel began globally, just like God's kingdom advanced globally, that's how it starts in you and your hearts. Starts small. That's how it starts in your communities, your neighborhoods, your little league teams. That's how it starts on our campuses and our workplaces in our cities and in countries, and, and then it continues to go out. That is the method of growth of the kingdom. The Holy Spirit, he wants to use you in whatever microculture you're a part of to begin this revival of the kingdom. But don't think it's going to be this like big, like Holy Spirit speaking in tongues, like everyone saved in one night. Like That's not the prescribed way. It starts small. It starts very small. Look at Zechariah 4.10. Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. We have to be those who rejoice to see the work begin because we know what it can become. Our second point is the kingdom becomes visible. So continuing in verse 19, the man took and sowed the seed in the garden, and it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nest in its branches. So just a few observations. Kingdom starts small. Remember, little mustard seed, but it eventually becomes visible. It will grow, right? We can, that's a promise. The kingdom will grow. And typically, mustard seeds become mustard bushes, not trees. They become just a small bush. I mean, maybe like 10, 12 feet. That's a large bush, but it's not a tree. Birds don't live in bushes, right? But this becomes a tree and tells us the birds live in it, right? So that means it's an actual big mustard tree. So it's just showing the power of the kingdom will become so big that birds can live. Now talking about birds, birds are not always a good thing. And typically in the gospels, the birds are not a good thing uh, when we see them used in illustrations. If you think of the parable of the soil, you know, the bird is an emissary of Satan. It swoops down and picks up the seed that was going to be the gospel and planted in, in a man's heart. And the bird is what, what eats that seed and, and prevents the gospel from being sown. There's a reference in Ezekiel 31.6 that, that echoes this, this idea of birds just kind of reaping the benefits of, of the mighty kingdom. Even the, the text that tells us that God provides for the bird, of course he's going to provide for you, that you know, shows their low value, right? So this kingdom becoming visible and birds living in the branches means two things. The first is that many unbelievers will benefit from this tree, from this kingdom. And not everyone who is in the kingdom is a part of the kingdom. I Googled like how many Christians, because I didn't know. There's 2.4 billion, you know, by, by some standard. I don't know how accurate that is. I think next week, as we get more into narrows the way, we're going to see like 
how inaccurate that actually is. The point is, narrow is the way. Few find their way into the kingdom. We can't confuse living in the branches with being in the kingdom. We don't, if we live in the branches, we don't share the life of the tree. Like our destination is not the same as the tree. What happens to the tree is not necessarily what happens to me if I'm a bird. So this, this plays itself out. When, when you're sharing the gospel with somebody, like they're not going to necessarily see the true benefits of being a Christian, of being in the kingdom, because we live in America and the benefits of the kingdom can be shared by all right now. Like there are so many benefits in our world right now that we can attribute to the kingdom. Modern medicine, education, even science, scientific revolution came out of the Protestant Reformation. Like these massive benefits people get to sit under now. So it's really hard to get them to see the need for a savior. So many people in this world are reaping the benefits of the kingdom and you have to pray like as you're sharing the gospel with them, they're going to ignore the fact that they need a savior because they're reaping these benefits. So we have to pray that, that God will open their eyes like God, please help them see that they're just like sitting in the tree, living in the tree. They're not actually in the kingdom, right? We have to pray that. And we have to be careful lest we are the bird, right? We're going to, this is a scary text we're going to preach next week. Narrow is the way and few find it. How do we know if we're a bird or not? Because many people in the end times will say to Christ, Lord, I did all these things for you. Like I, I prophesied in your name. Like I, I went to church every day, every week. Like I did all these things for you. And he said, I never knew you. So, so many people confuse being in the kingdom with being in the tree. How do you know if you're a bird or not? There's some text, some, some biblical text that we can just look at and hopefully convict someone in here that may be a bird. You may be a bird. You may not know it. Proverbs 29 says, who can say I have made my heart pure? I am clean from my sin. Who can say that? Nobody. Birds would say that. But a Christian, he, he realizes, like, I cannot have righteousness on my own. I need Christ for, for everything I do, every single day. James 3, 2, it just echoes this, for we all stumble in many ways. Like, birds think they got it figured out. And Christians know we don't. Christians know we have to remain in the life of the tree to do anything good in this life. 1 Corinthians three eighteen, let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. Are you willing to become a fool for Christ? That is, that is birds will not be willing to become fools. 1 John 2, 4, whoever says I know him but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. So finally, and, and I think most importantly, if we're not seeking to align ourselves with God's word, the commandments he has for us in scripture, then we may be a bird. We have to align ourselves with the truth of God's word every single day. Now that's, that's some of the, the visibility of the kingdom is, is just coming to light and like, okay, birds are gonna live in the tree. Like people will confuse the living in the kingdom for being in the kingdom. But also as a Christian, the kingdom will become visible to the world through your righteous living. That's, that's a promise that's, that's just going to happen. That is the result of being a Christian is that the kingdom will become visible in your lives through your own righteous living. J.I. Packer says, the task of the church is to make the invisible kingdom visible through faithful Christian living and witness bearing. So faithful Christian living 
and witness bearing, living by the truth of God's word and bringing the gospel to our worlds and all nations. Add to this Matthew 24, 14, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So we have to keep in mind our faithful Christian living, witness bearing, and, and when do we do this and how long do we have to do this? Well, forever unto the nations until the end comes. Now, your authenticity as a Christian, are you a bird or not? Your authenticity will rely on your ability to reflect the image of Christ to the world. Your authenticity as a Christian relies on your ability to reflect the image of Christ to the world. Authenticity, are you a genuine Christian? Did you miss the way? Did you go to the wide road? This ability to reflect the image of Christ. So the image of Christ is Christ-likeness, right? Like we need to look more and more like Christ. How does that happen? Well, it happens through informing ourselves through the word. Like what does Christ look like? Okay, we see Christ. I'm not like that. I want to be like that. Holy Spirit, make me like that. All right, this, and then as people see that, they, they start to see Christ. Like that person's a Christian. I know he's a Christian. He looks different. He acts different. He prays all the time. Like he's just different, right? And that's the image of Christ. People see us, they see Christ. But also internally what's happening is we start caring more about what God cares about, right? We start aligning ourselves to his purposes. As we see them laid out clearly in scripture, what his plan and purpose for the earth is, we want to be a part of that, right? We want to reflect that to the world. Now, this ability to, to reflect the image of Christ grows and expands, and that's spiritual maturity. That's sanctification, Four verses about the process of spiritual maturity, sanctification, and its, its power on your life. Proverbs 4.18. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. Psalm 92.13. They are planted in the house of the Lord, and they flourish in the courts of our God. 1 Thessalonians 5.23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Philippians 1.9. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment. So this is this idea of sanctification. It happens. It, it grows. It builds on itself. And nothing stops it. As the sun rises above the horizon, nothing's stopping it from shining brighter and brighter. It's inevitable. Our third point, the kingdom grows quietly. Verse 20. And again, he said, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. So there's, there's actually a few observations we could take from this. We're just going to look at one. And it's the fact that the leaven is concealed or hidden. Leaven, a.k.a. yeast, you put this in flour and it does an invisible chemical reaction for a prolonged period of time. It could be a day or multiple days, depending on the amount of flour. And it does this constantly until you know, the end result is achieved, which you have this useful um, dough that you can make bread with, right? It's not useful until it becomes the dough. <clears throat> so 
The parable of the seed into a mustard tree shows that the kingdom will become visible to the world. Yes. Now, we have to hold that along with this parable of leaven, that the power of the kingdom is happening, happening invisibly in the hearts of men. This is where the influence of the gospel comes in. Right? We, start, we start being influenced by the gospel, and we start influencing our worlds through the gospel. And this is where God is most glorified through transformation. Like his, his Christians, his, his sons and daughters, their lives begin being transformed and they begin living out new purposes in Christ with new thoughts and new ways that are aligned to God. This is the power of the leaven, which is the gospel inside of us. So the process of the gospel happens invisibly in our hearts, but the effects of the, of the gospel happens visibly through our lives, right? The, the, the process, like what's the real influence that's changing the whole world to become the kingdom of the Lord is the gospel, and it happens invisibly in our hearts. But that's going to be lived out through Christian living in the world, and that's going to change. That's the effects of the gospel, and that's going to change the world as well. But it all happens through our hearts. Now, similar, this is a parallel, is the way the gospel plays it out, itself out in the world. It happens invisibly through our prayer life. If we have a mission field that we want to reach people, we must be prayerful because this is where the, the real power of his ministry is going to work itself out. This is going to build our conviction for that ministry. This is going to move the heart of God to to move his gospel into men's hearts, and you'll, you'll begin to see the effects of it through salvations, through transformed lives, right? And then that, that just ripples out throughout the whole world. Like that's, that's the whole scope of the gospel, right? And it's, it parallels itself. The way it works in men is the way it works in the world. Fourth and final point, the kingdom continues steadily into completion. So just to finish it out, it's like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leaven. So yeast, leaven, it does its work chemically until it's done doing its work. Once it starts, can't stop it. Kingdom's like a train. We live near a train track, and I'm stuck behind it. I mean, not too often, but when I am, I'm not as annoyed as I am just in awe. Like, there's nothing left in this world. Maybe there is. Like a train. Like, it just commands the respect and attention of everyone around it. And I just, I love it, because it's just, it's doing what it's going to do, and there's no stopping it. President of the United States could not stop this train, unless he, you know, planned it in advance, of course. <laughs> but he'd probably forget. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so, <laughs> if you're in the kingdom, then you're on the train. And the train's not stopping until it reach, reaches its destination. Christ, his grace is working inside of you as leaven, and it will continue. It will not stop. doesn't matter how you feel about it. If you're spiritually dry, if you're in a rut emotionally, if you're truly a Christian, if you're on the train, it will continue. It's working inside of you, inside of your children, inside of your spouse, inside of your coworkers, inside of your church family, and it's doing all this and it will continue to do so until completion. Why else would Jesus bank his kingdom on guys like Peter, Paul, Luke, 
Like his disciples, 12 people, he'll, he's going to leave his whole kingdom to 12 people. He knows the effect that it has on a man once it enters his heart. It's going to continue and it's going to grow. There's nothing going to stop it. Four texts to, to prove this even further. John 4, 14. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. You can't stop the water welling up. Philippians 1.6, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Luke 19.26, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. And John 15.2, and every branch that, that does not bear fruit, he prunes, that he may bear more fruit. So this is what we're building to. This is what we've been trying to build to the whole time. The primary application, the main truth that I want you to go away with today is that the way that the kingdom works in us individually, in our hearts, is the way that it works throughout the world. It won't stop until all nations are reached. And so this starts with man, yes, moves out into our, our communities, our neighborhoods, our campuses. It moves to our cities and our countries, and it moves out into the world. That's his method of reaching the nations. Revelation eleven fifteen, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Hosea 6, 3, let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. So when you are, when you are discouraged, when you're feeling, you know, why am I praying for these unreached people groups every night. Why does the field want me to do this? My heart is cold to it. What's the point of church every Sunday and Bible reading plans and you know, family discipleship or scripture memory? This is how God is achieving his ultimate purpose in you. He's beginning in you through sanctification, through these processes. And it's simple. Like we can break it down into four things. You have a relationship with God. You must commune with him through the word and through prayer. And then you have a relationship with the world that you must, that you must live out through fellowship with believers and evangelism. Like it's, it's that simple. Those are the, the four things that, are, that are, we are aligning ourselves to when we say we're Christians and, and we live out the truth of God's word. So we can't fall into the trap that the Pharisees did that our salvation is for us, right? They, they'd be, they, they fell into the trap of thinking like, oh, Christ is not the Christ because we need a Messiah that's going to make this more about us. He's going to lift us up, right? He's going to make us look important. He's going to bring down the Romans, and he's going to lift us up. And, and similar, we do the same thing. We make salvation about us. It terminates on us, but it can't terminate on us. Our salvation is for, is for God and his glory and for his ultimate purposes, which is bringing the gospel to all the nations. Psalm 67 puts this so clearly. It begins by saying, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. So this seems a little bit like prosperity, like God, give me, give me this, give me that, like make my name great, um, make my, my, my family flourish, like give me all these blessings. But why do we ask for those things? That your way may be known on earth and your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. This is the result of God blessing us, that other people will praise him, namely, all the nations of the earth. So in closing, 
of all the truths that we looked at today and try to expose out of this text, know this, the gospel has come to you, it has come near to you, and it wants to, Christ himself wants to reign and rule in your hearts through the message of salvation. It will be hidden from the world for a time. It will become visible to the world, though. And that visible manifestation of Christ reigning and ruling in your heart will look like transformation. It will look like you were once this and you became this because of his word, because of the power inside of you. So if you're on the train, right, if you're in the tree, this is where it's headed. This is, this is the direction it's going, and this is its destination. The kingdom of the world will become the kingdom of our Lord. There's no stopping it. And the grace that's begun in you, in your hearts, will surely continue until completion, until you die or until Christ returns. So it's simple. The application is simple. God's kingdom is advancing with or without you. It's in your midst. Right? You can't observe it, but it's in your midst. It's happening all around you. So you have to take notice first of the grace of God playing out in your life. How is God's grace changing me, transforming me? And then we must respond by taking part of the incredible purposes that he has for us, namely bringing the gospel to all nations. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this truth today. Let it always remind us of the power of your kingdom. God, it is advancing. It's not stopping. Nothing can stop it. And you've invited us into it, not because of any merit that we have, but because you want to be glorified in our lives through transforming us as we live out the truths of your word. So we thank you for these truths. Let them just remain in our hearts. God, when we're discouraged, when we're rejected, when we're opposed, God, let these truths prevail. Let them guide us, not, not our emotions, but God, these, these truths that no matter what, you are advancing your kingdom through us, and you've invited us into that. So we thank you, we praise you, in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this resource from the Field Church in Mandeville, Louisiana. We pray that it helps you joyfully make Jesus Christ your treasure.